Good morning, everyone. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. We appreciate so much you joining us on Tuesday mornings as we bring you stories of inspiration. Women who have suffered some difficult challenges in their life are going to share with us how their faith has helped them through those dark times. And this morning, I am delighted to have Polly Newman, who is the founder of a new organization entitled Beyond Surviving with us. Polly, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It is so good to have you on the show this morning. I tell you, this is a tough show. Um, We're going to be talking about childhood sexual abuse. And I know that this has been um, a program that you have prayed about a lot, Polly, to ask the Lord to show you how to take some really tough times in your life from when you were young and use them to help others. So if you will, I'm going to ask you to give me a quick summary of your experience with childhood sexual abuse. Okay. Um, I grew up in what most people would consider a fairly normal, um, average family, and that's what we look like from the outside. Um, on the inside, when I was, um, I'm the I'm the oldest of four children, and when I was about four years old, my father began um, sexual abuse by pretty um, um, mild or just you know, like an inappropriate type back rub or a touch where it shouldn't be when he tucked me in at night, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and it progr- progressively over the years um, got worse. Um, I can remember that around age 13 was when it progressed into full-blown incest, which included sexual intercourse probably two to three times a week, and that lasted until I was um, 19 years old. And the only reason that probably ended was because I eloped, and our home, my husband was military, and we were stationed in Alaska. So I went all the way to Alaska, and um, and I thought that all my troubles would be behind me and um, and that that would never affect or bother me again. You know, as I listened to you talk to me about your father being the one who was taking advantage of you sexually, mm-hmm. that that is so hard for me to comprehend that betrayal of trust. And perhaps I lived in a fairy tale bubble, but in my home, when I hear the word father, mm-hmm. I immediately have a connotation of safety of unconditional love and of someone who would fight the world for me. And I can't imagine that that person is the one who is going to betray you at that deeper level. Yeah, it's, it, it causes all different kinds of things. You know, in growing, in growing up, you know, it wasn't like one single event. Or, and I wasn't his only victim. I wouldn't know this for a long time. Uh, but I've discovered he had at least 11 victims, which are all family members. Um, mm-hmm. And there was violence in the home. And so the word father or daddy um, brought fear and um, pain and 
everything negative that you can think of and things that you can't even imagine for me. I want to clarify that because violence is a broad term. When we talk domestic violence, that indicates that someone who is associated with you within, you know, a a close nature was involved with it. When you talk violence, do you mean beatings? What do you mean? Well, my dad was um, physically abusive, and I'm talking about beatings, too us kids and to my mother, um, I would say that the persons who got the most of the physical abuse, the brunt end of it, would be my two brothers and my mother. Um, I did receive, you know, I did experience physical abuse, um, but mine was primarily the sexual abuse. Polly, was he an alcoholic? Was there something that triggered the abuse? I'm not sure, you know, I mean, they were heavy drinkers. Um, I would certainly, by today's terms, call them an alcoholic. Um, But he would do this completely sober as well. Okay. Well, just so you all that are listening understand Polly's background in this, as an adult, Polly then worked as program manager for the Rappahannock Council Against Sexual Assault and provided the education and training to allied professionals and churches and families of people being abused. And she has now started her own organization called Beyond Surviving, where she will come share her story with your organization. And then if you want additional training, she charges for that. Um, Polly, at what age did you decide to take the lesson and to share it with others? Well, the journey itself was, I think it was, I would be, it was 19, um, let me get this right, 1993, the first time that I spoke the words that I'm an incest survivor to a public group. Okay. Um, In 1981, I attempted suicide. How old were you then? I was 29. Okay. Had you told anyone about this prior to that? No. Um, my husband and I had been married 10 years, and he did not know. Um, none of my friends knew. Um, it was, and that's one of the ways that abuse continues, is in that secrecy and that silence. And um, it can be perpetrated over generations, which I have learned is the case here, that I'm at least the third generation mm-hmm. um, of, of sexual abuse in my family, and I'm sure there's probably more. Um I want to go back on this a second. So Mm -hmm. your abuse started with inappropriate touchings at four. Mm -hmm. It escalated to full sexual intercourse Mm -hmm. at 13 and continued on to 19. Did your mom have any idea of what was going on during that time? Um, Yes. (laughs) Um, My my mother and I actually had a conversation not long ago where... um, I realized I had forgiven her for not believing me, but I never told her that. And let's talk about that experience. At 13 years old, mm-hmm. you went to your mom and yeah. you tried to tell her that your dad right. was sexually abusing you. And what was right. the response? She um, marched me in front of my dad and said, now tell him what you just told me. And? And I recanted and said, never mind, I made it up and I was punished for lying. And why did you back down? My father had said that if I ever told anybody, he would kill me. And um, I believed it because he didn't just, you know, slap around or use his fist. He was very fond of guns, and I had seen him 
um, at that point had seen him shoot at my mother or shoot near my mother. Um, and also, where was I going to go? Mm-hmm. You know, at you know, I'm. I'll be honest. I'm 58 years old. I was born in 1952, so it was 1965 when I tried to get some help. Schools were not educated. You know, counselors weren't. There was no programs out there. There was no place that said, "Come talk to me. It's a safe place." Sure. And there has to be a lot of shame. That's pre-teen. So yes. you had to feel like, especially if it was going on throughout all of your teenage yes. years, at some point the fact that it had been repeated and you in your mind had, quote, unquote, allowed it, right. there had to be guilt there. There was um, an enormous amount of guilt and shame um, with um, exactly that was thinking that I let it happen. Um, I, I also remember feeling like my body betrayed me and because, and this is where part of my shame and embarrassment came, my body would react as a body will react when stimulated. Sure. And um, so then that would be used in my father's arsenal to tell me that I really liked it. And, um, and, you know, in, in addition to threatening and saying, nobody will ever believe you if you say anything. Mm-hmm. So when I did and I wasn't believed, I made a vow that if my own mom couldn't believe me, I'd never speak it again to anyone. And I want to go there because if someone is listening and a child has come to them, or they suspect from, mm-hmm. from their gut that something's not right within the household, mm-hmm. how do you recommend a parent respond if a child comes to them and says, something's not right here? If a, if a child comes to them directly and says... Right. Somebody's okay. abusing me physically, right. sexually. Well, the very first, first, first thing they have to do is believe the child. Even if there's doubts in their head, they have to tell the child that they believe them. And um, the second thing that's going to be real important is to let the child know it's not their fault. Okay. I I want to go back to you saying that you have to believe them. Mm -hmm. Polly, I know that there is truth in that, Mm -hmm. but there is also documented cases Mm -hmm. of children who cry wolf, who... See it on TV, you know, hear the attention that's given. It is dedicated attention to them as a victim. And there are children and and women who have accused gentlemen of sexual abuse and and destroyed their lives with a lie. So what is the first level of discernment there? The first level of discernment is that what you're really doing in that interaction with the child, and, and even if you don't say out loud, I believe you, you have to avoid things that will come across as you don't believe them. Okay. Um, and so, um, it, and part of that response comes in open-ended questions. You want to avoid the why question. Okay. Um, like, why did you, why did you let him do that? Or why did you go back the second time? Or um, why didn't you tell me? Things like that. Um, and So and take out the word why. Yeah, take it out. Why take did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Polly, we're going to have to take a short break. We're going to come right back and talk in much more detail about how to deal with a young person that comes to you and, and lets you know that they've been sexually abused. Appreciate everybody staying tuned. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Today we're talking with Polly Newman, the founder of Beyond Survival, about childhood sexual abuse. And Polly has been very open in sharing her experience of being sexually molested by her father starting at the age of four then with actual intercourse from age 13 to 19 when she eloped to get away. At 13 years old, Polly went to her mom, tried to tell her what was going on, and her mom didn't believe her. So we are going to pick up there, Polly. You indicated that you thought that the response to a child is critical when they are brave enough to come to an adult and tell them that there's been sexual abuse. and and we started to talk about the young child who might cry wolf, and you made an interesting statement about statistics on that during break. Want to tell me about that? Yeah, st- statistically, um, children rarely, rarely make up sec- um, lies about sexual abuse. Uh, they are more apt to um, make up a story about physical abuse. Okay. Um, Yes, teens have misrepresented and reported, say, a rape or a date rape when it was consensual because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. That happens, but it doesn't typically, um, it doesn't stay. The story doesn't gel. Mm -hmm. Um, Overall, in all forms of sexual assault, there's less than 2% um, that are false reports. You know, one of the forgotten victims in all of this is the teenage boy. Um, Unfortunately, the longer that I live, the more I learn that there are so many instances of teenage boys who go out drinking with their friends Mm -hmm. and are sexually abused and don't ever tell anybody because of the shame involved. And then it leads to the drugs and and Mm -hmm. the lock of purpose and the loss of identity there. What's your experience with that, with um, the teenager who's been drinking and is sexually abused? I think that um, twofold there. When we think about um, victims in general and we're thinking about a child, say, who's four versus a teenager who's 16, we are typically going to have more sympathy for the four-year-old and not lay any blame on her or him. We're also going to mostly think it's a her. Um, with the teenager, we are automatically, whether it's a guy or a girl, we're going to place responsibility for that assault on the victim, on the person who was assaulted. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that by um, criticizing the risky behaviors such as drinking or doing drugs or being where you're not supposed to be or you know, hitchhiking, whatever, that, that, the, the belief that that behavior led to the sexual assault. So, um, so, and then when we're talking about male, uh, victims, particularly teenagers, there's an additional shame and confusion that goes along with that. Um, and that keeps them silent for many, many years. M- most people, when you hear, well, when you hear about sexual assault, we assume that it is a guy molesting a child, a man or male molesting a girl, and that it's a female molesting a guy, and then there's all kinds of stories about, well, they probably liked it. But the reality is that most of the time, the males are being assaulted by other males as well. 
Well, you talked about your confusion of feeling like your body had betrayed mm-hmm. you as a female because right. you responded to the sexual mm-hmm. stroking. Men have that even harder, you they, know, and I mean, they are definitely more physical in that right. and, and they would feel that shame. They feel that shame and there's this fear that um, they are somehow gay because of this. Huh. Um, and the the assumption that the person who did this must be gay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember going to the movies and watching that movie, Precious. You know, that was Oprah's big movie that she touted. And her mother was sexually abusing her in that mm-hmm. movie. Yes. And it was that same sense of betrayal of a right. parent who would somehow take advantage of a child. And again, we've talked about this on other shows. Just because someone physically gives birth to someone does not make them qualified for the honorary title of a good parent. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think that's that's something that is really coming home to me as I do these shows on right. here. I want to move on a little bit. Okay. Um, you said that you found out at a later date that your mom had been abused as well. Tell me about that incident where you finally decided to confront your parents. I think it was after your suicide, right? It was, yes. Um, I was, uh, like I said, at 29, I had attempted suicide. And what that caused me, that was actually a turning point in my life for for the good. Um, God really used that for the good, and it got me into counseling. And as many new survivors, you know, survivors who are just coming to terms, you know, we're reading stuff that we relate to, and we're going, yeah, that's me, and, you know, what we want to do is we want to confront our parents. Mm -hmm. And there are different levels of that confrontation. For me, personally, I still was thinking it was all my fault, and I was to blame, and so I basically wanted to get them together and apologize (laughs) um, for causing them to do these things. And um, so I still wasn't, I, I really wasn't ready for that confrontation. But we had it anyway, and God used it. Um, and we had that in my counselor's office. And my mom um, would get hysterical from time to time as I was trying to express what was on my heart, and she would leave the room. And at one point she came in, and she very emotionally blurted out, I don't get what the big deal is. I was married to my dad when I was 13, 13 or 16, I'm not really sure. But um and that would be the first time and the only time we have ever discussed her abuse. And so your mom blurted out that she didn't know what the big deal was. She right. had been abused and she had been able to go on. But she went into and stayed in a relationship where she was constantly abused and made right. to feel unworthy through physical and, abuse. And that is not uncommon. Um, statistically, I should have married an abuser. Um, and I, God has blessed me with a wonderful man. Not that we haven't had our issues to do with this and to do with other things, but, um, um, a person who doesn't feel like that, I mean, they, they don't feel worthy. Their identity is, you know, the only time they get affection is if it's through sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, they're learn they're taught that that's what you do if you want any kind of affection, Um, and their instincts, you know, I think we have natural instincts, particularly women, about what's safe and what's not safe, and those are so squashed in a home with incest, abuse, domestic violence, because you think something's wrong, but that, that offender, the abuser, in whatever fashion, is 
just beating, chipping that little brick down mm-hmm. and down and down. And, you know, I hear so many women who talk about being sexually abused by one party that it is rarely one party, that there are several instances of sexual uh-huh. abuse going on. Why do you think that is? Um well, and in my case, I did have another abuser as well, and it was my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, in in my case, it was, uh, and I may be rationalizing this, but it was not as severe, and so I compartmentalized that. <laughs> um, what was severe was the message it gave me that I couldn't trust anybody, and especially men. Um, yeah, but, you know. Well, let's go there. In, okay. You're married. You said that you were married for 10 years before mm-hmm. you ever told your husband about right. being sexually abused. Right. Did, how did you handle sex within that marital relationship? Were you able to separate that out as, as something separate, or were there um, issues that came up and, and that you had to deal with because of the previous sexual abuse with your father? There were a lot of issues that would come up. In fact, the way that I dealt with it for the most part was I would dissociate, I would zone out, and mentally I would go somewhere else mm-hmm. so that I wasn't, and, and I know that people who've experienced this will totally get what I'm saying, but it's as if I were outside of my body and, you know, during the abuse and and watching it happen to someone else. And so with the sex, rather than allowing it to trigger, I mean, I couldn't look at my husband during sex because I would see my father's face. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, all the memories would be coming back. So I would need to sort of go somewhere. Um, you told me that when you became pregnant, mm-hmm. that that brought up a whole nother layer of stuff. It did. Talk to um, me about that. Well, pregnancy um, is a, a, a trigger for women who've been sexually abused as children and, and, and so forth. The, your body changing, um, the hormonal difference, the um, the lack of control over something growing in you that should be a great experience, but you have no sense of control over it. Um, the fear of the unknown again, and then those nasty little negative, you know, um, old tapes negative messages, I call them, which, you know, you're not good enough, what, what it makes you think you can be a good mom, you're going to mess this up, um, that kind of thing would always come in the way. So, How did you handle having children and now you know for a fact that your father is abusive that, that he and your grandfather. Right. Um, did you have boys or girls? I had boys. And did you allow them to be around your parents? I did. Um, for the longest time again I wasn't at a place where I um put the whole responsibility on them. I was at a place where, well, two places. One is, um, you know, my boys weren't going to do what I did to cause it, was my, my thinking. And mm-hmm. secondly, I this is before I began my work in the field, I didn't think boys got molested. Wow. So I can remember when I got pregnant and when I knew they were boys, I was relieved. I mean, what I had transferred onto my husband was the risk, the fear that he would molest if we had girls. Mm-hmm. And, so, did um, you? Were there any indications that your father was ever inappropriate with your boys? None. Um, we haven't had the any of the you know uh, emotional symptoms or things like that. But we've also had 
really open conversations with our kids. Um, they assure me that that has never happened. Um, we didn't, we weren't, didn't live near them all the time, but um, there was a couple of times before I started my this work that um, I can remember letting my kids spend a week with them in the summer. And then when I started this work, I looked back on that and thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And, but you are now estranged from your parents. How long has it been since you have actually physically seen your father? Well, my father passed away about 11 or 12 years ago. Okay. Um, and I... Um, and and my uh, mom is still living. I have not seen them in 25 years. Wow. I just can't imagine that price tag. It, you know, I, I, yeah. my heart hurts so bad as I listen to you on this. I appreciate your openness in this. We are going to take a short break. I want to remind everyone listening that you can call in and talk with us at 646-652-2071. Again, that number is 646-652-2071. Give us a call on Rivers of Faith. I know there are several of you chatting on the chat line. We'd love to have you call and share your story with us as well. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. And we're back. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. We have a very interesting show today with Miss Polly Newman, who is the founder of Beyond Survival, talking about her childhood sexual abuse and how she has learned how to move forward with her life and and put away some of the guilt and the anger. We have a very healthy chat line going of several people who have experienced their own sexual abuse or either their children have been abused. And I want to thank you all for sharing so openly on the chat line. You can go to hearwomentalk.com, hit live chat, and join in with us. Or you can give us a call here on the radio at 646-652-2071. We'd love to hear from you. If some of you that are chatting want to call in and share your story with us, I want to move on uh, Polly, to talking about forgiveness um, okay. and and how you start the healing process. You said you started into therapy, and I guess the first thing is accepting it. You said that after accepting it, that you wanted to confront the offender, mm-hmm. uh, the perpetrator, and and so you did that. They still denied it. Your father never acknowledged in public that what you said was true. So you always were deemed a liar by him. All the way up to his death. And how do you deal with that? If they refuse to admit it, if they say that you're lying to get attention, even as an adult, how did you move forward with it? This is probably one of the toughest parts of the journey, um, is figuring out I mean, you know, I had every right to hate them. I had every right to be angry with them. Um, I had every right to, you know, smear their name if I wanted to. Um, but at this time, it, you know, this was a spiritual journey as well. And um, for me, forgiveness and, and what I truly believe for survivors, the first step of forgiveness is to forgive yourself for what you believe you did wrong. So if there are behaviors, for some people, um, they maybe were drinking when something happened, or maybe 
they liked the attention and they're feeling guilt or shame or remorse for that. At some place, they've got to be able to forgive themselves in order to move on because I, I, can, I can tell you that for my personal one, being in church was important to me, although I really wasn't sure why. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when you know, you'd hear the messages of, you know, we're not worthy, we don't deserve God's love, in my head I'm going, yeah, and if you knew my story, I don't deserve to even be in this room. Um, or when we would hear, honor thy father or forgiving, there were barriers there for me because of those old tapes playing. So when I came to a place of being able to forgive, it was because I was able to hand over to Jesus Christ the anger and the shame and and all of my rights to have the anger and all that stuff. And but but giving it to Christ wasn't a matter of saying one day, okay, God, it's yours, and then that's the end of it. It's an ongoing process. And um, it's not for the offender. The forgiveness of, you know, next you forgive the offender, but it's not for their benefit. It is for your benefit. Because it's because like poison. It's, it's like a poison. Like poison. Anger is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to exactly. die. And so if you want to go beyond surviving, you really have to get to the point, in my heart, when I say forgiveness in this situation, it is... It is claiming God's power to give you permission not to let that person have the power to make you feel unworthy anymore. Exactly. It's it's saying it's where you stop the cycle that says um, it doesn't mean that forgiveness never, never, never means that what they did was okay and it didn't matter. It okay. never means that. That's important um, that we clarify that. Yeah, that's very important because I, I've, I've talked to hundreds of women who... That has been what they've said to me. I can't forgive because it, that's, he'd get off too easy. That's like saying what he did didn't matter. That's not what forgiveness is about. Um, and even once you have forgiven, it doesn't mean that all those feelings are going to just disappear. Um, one thing that happens often is we, we forgive, and we think, especially as Christians, we've forgiven, and so that means we must want must strive for restoration. Restoration is not necessarily going to always happen in your family if they continue to be abusive. Absolutely. And anger is going to pop up at the most unexpected times in your life. And, you know, anger is always a mask for pain. We talked about it being a poison that poisons Mm -hmm. the person and and you're drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. But any time you see someone emotionally anger, it is because there is a pain there somewhere. And, and it's always a mask for pain. So it's, how yeah. do you deal with that anger when it comes up now? Um, the, it comes up much less often, less frequent than it used to, and that's the message I want to send out there. You know, what we're saying to women is we really want you to be, you know, it's, it's valuable to you to come forward and start getting help. But what I also want to say is that's not going to be an easy task because you're being asked to walk through everything you have given years and years of efforts to try to forget or ignore, um, and you've tried to stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. Um, So it's not going to be an easy task, but I know that Jesus promises and God promises they are with us through the whole journey, even when we don't feel like they are. Polly, I want to talk about that for a second, about a support structure. If you have someone that you love, whether it is someone in your family, Mm -hmm. a child, a close friend, who is suffering with um, recovery from sexual abuse, tell us how to be an effective support structure. 
um, respect. Um, there's going to be a little difference in what um, I tell you with ch um, children who are under 18. Well, okay. let's talk about children who are under 18. If we have a mom listening who's has a, a daughter who's been mm -hmm. sexually abused and she's trying to walk the journey with her, uh -huh. tell us what your words of advice would be for her. Uh, patience, patience, and patience. Um, and again, I'm going to talk about forgiveness because there isn't a mother that I have ever met that doesn't somehow blame herself for her child's abuse. Hmm. Um, there isn't a survivor I've ever met that doesn't somehow blame themselves for their own abuse. That we should have handled it differently or we should have known. Why didn't I see that? Or, you know, and there's a number of cases that I worked with where teenagers or even children like 10, 11, 12, they would go to their mom and say, you know, dad, stepdad, boyfriend did something. And mom would then go talk to that person and say, if you ever do that again, I will call the police. Mm -hmm. And think that was it. That was over. So you're and saying that's not the right action. That's not the right option. Okay, because so what is? What is is um, making sure you get some outside help um, for for children, um, uh, the law most likely could get involved. Okay. But if you have a teenager who is 17 years old uh -huh. and, and a boy who says, this happened, I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to testify that this is true. I'm telling you to stay out of my business. It's right. okay. You as a parent have to make a decision, are you going to go against your child? If they're telling you they're not going to acknowledge in public that abuse, right. what do you do? Okay. Um, when we're talking about especially not wanting to go to court and right. things like that, um, there may be cases where, you know, if, if, a per if the child or teenager is um, subpoenaed that they have no legal option but to go and testify. But you run so, the relationship forever in that. Exactly. Here's what parents can do. They need to empower their kids because the kids are feeling powerless. That's the reason they don't want anybody to get involved. They want help. All they want is for the abuse to stop. They don't necessarily want all this other drama that goes along with it. Um, and so as soon as that starts happening, they feel like we're taking over again and they have no control again. Mm -hmm. And so it would be important for a parent to be able to say, I totally understand. And that, per that parent be an advocate for them with, um, say Commonwealth attorneys or with someone like that who maybe maybe it has gotten reported maybe that's um, you know maybe a mandated reporter had to report it but the child's now saying to mom I just can't do that um, they need to be an advocate for their child and really communicate that this is not something that's for the well-being of their child and if to prevent that person from ever doing it to another person again right do you know uh, it is it is that exact action that mm -hmm. stops people um, from reporting those abuses, and then that person continues to abuse Continue. others. Right. Do you, you made an interesting comment to me when we were preparing for the show that you don't think that a, a, a sexual predator ever is cured. Right. That's a big there, statement, Polly. Uh, yeah, I know. I'll probably get in trouble for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you say that? You don't uh, think that a sexual predator can go right. for counseling and right. amend their ways. I'm going to say, first and foremost, that God can do anything, okay? okay? So I know that there are, in just like any other issue, alcoholism, anything else, God can heal anything. Okay. So having said that, 
um, there the percentages of there is very little success in adults going into sex offender treatment programs. The success rate is extremely low, and success what it does do is um, decrease or reduce the recidivism rate. What is your opinion about pedophiles having to be registered in communities and the the community has to be aware that they're there? Okay, uh, I I have probably a controversial opinion about that as well. Um, I think that um, I think that there are people that need to know that this has happened. I don't know that we as a society are prepared to know that an offender lives next door. Um, I don't believe in the violence that happens to an offender once they're outed in the community. Um, I don't believe in that at all, uh, and I don't condone that. Um, for me, the reason that um, <coughs> I, I the problem I think there is with you know like a checking a sex offender registry, and I find out about 13 people living within a 10 mile radius that have abused kids. So then, what happens is there's a false sense of security. Parents say, as long as they, as long as my kids don't go near that house, they're okay. As long as they don't interact with that person, they're going to be okay. Um, it's important to know that less than 10% of all sexual assaults are reported. Less than 2% are convicted. So those 13 represent that 2% that were convicted sure. of the 10%. That's so, an interesting perspective on it. We're going to have to take a short break, okay. Holly. We're going to come back and talk more about sexual abuse with children, about registration of pedophiles, and about learning to move forward and the role that faith has played in giving you a peace. You all stay tuned. We'll be right back with Rivers of Faith. This is Donna Tyson, host of Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Today, we're talking about childhood sexual abuse. We're talking with Polly Newman, who is the founder of a new organization entitled Beyond Surviving. Polly, I understand you have a new website going up that anybody that's listening who would like to get additional resources from you, they could go to that website in the near future and and get those resources? They sure can. Um, It's under construction at this point, but... um, I'm hoping it will be up and running within the next 30 days. And what is that website address? www.beyondsurviving.net. Okay. Well, we are still open. Our phone lines are open at 646-652-2071. Our chat line is open. We will have that address posted on our chat line for that website. Polly, what about other community resources? I know you were a program manager for Rappahannock Council Against Sexual Abuse. I think most or most communities have a comparable organization to that, correct? Right. They do. Most of them do. um, And um, I have a couple of resources that are national sites, and that can get a person to their state site or their local site. Let's give Um, those. Okay. The the first one that I have is the... um, it's the Rape and Abuse, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's better known as RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. Okay. That phone number is 1-800-656-4673. And its web address is www.rainn.org. Okay. That's great. We're going to make sure that we have these posted on our uh-huh. chat line Great. afterwards, but the key is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, 
yeah. .org. Um, that would be the key. Uh-huh. Okay. And you said you have a state level as well? Um, well, the, it's I know it for Virginia, but I don't know for um you know, South Carolina or okay. whatever. But let's do Virginia, um, and we'll look for comparable ones. Okay, um, it's the Virginians Aligned Against Sexual and Domestic Violence Action Alliance. Don't you love that big name? Yes. Is there an acronym for that? There is. Um, I don't remember what it is. That's okay. <laughs> but if they go in and, and Google that. It'll take them to the website. It'll take them right to the official website. And the key is, if you just put in uh, sexual yeah. abuse, you will find many, many organizations yeah. that are out right. there. The key is we typically don't look for them until yeah. we need them. And exactly. so many times we're not aware of those organizations in our mm-hmm. community until we have something happen within our family on that. At Polly, at we talked about being a support structure for people we love how can we help as a friend? I mean, this did, this isn't new for you. This happened in your teenage years. But because right. we're friends, I know that this is still um, a, a, an issue of great impact in your life. Sure. How can I support you as a friend? How can I hold you up? One of the things that you have done well and that I think people need to do um, is you have avoided the you should do this and you should do that and you you shouldn't think this and you shouldn't think that. Telling people what they should think or feel or what they what is best, you know, in your opinion, best for them to do mm-hmm. um, will shut them down in a heartbeat because they've already been told all that and what the message is that what they're feeling is wrong. Okay. So um, listening is a key listen, gift to give people. It is a key gift. I love the the saying that says, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. If we would use them in that proportion, we could be a much better friend. Right. So, Um, The other thing is, as a friend, you know, based on where your friend is in the process, is if they don't have a good support system, is helping them to build one. A caution that I give is that one person cannot be the sole support for a survivor. Important um, piece of advice. Yeah, it's it's really important because as much as you love and care for this person, the journey she's going to take is emotionally overwhelming for her and the needs she's going to have. Now, that person may trust only you and may have only trusted you and say, I can't ever talk to anybody else. Um, and it's, you know, one of the ways, like, for instance, somebody who needs to go into counseling, I would certainly recommend that if they've never been in counseling yet, that they explore that option. Um, because in exploring the option of counseling, a lot of people think that it's like, well, you just sit here and you talk about what happened, and but, but you really are exploring the effects of what happened um, and how it's impacting your marriage, your parenting, your relationships in general, and your walk with God. Um, you're able to explore that with a um, pretty much a third party that's uh, very objective, and that's I think one of the benefits of, of counseling. It doesn't necessarily always have to be with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be with clergy. It can be with clergy, right. Let's um, talk about that and okay. and the faith walk, Polly. You said okay. that you felt safe in church. Mm-hmm. How did your faith give you the power to, to move forward? Uh, I want to first say that I had to find my faith in the journey. And it was, actually, I was in and out of a lot of different churches 
um, I know now looking back, I knew that the answer was somewhere in church, which is obviously it was God is what I was looking for. Um, but I would never let people get close enough. If they got too close to me, then I would switch to church. Mm-hmm. So um, it was um, after my suicide attempt, I did disclose to my pastor what had happened. And he said to me, I have another woman who has disclosed to me what happened to her, and she's willing to talk to others. And so it was them taking time to mentor, sort of disciple, and just love me and showing me scripture. Um, in one of the training programs I do, I talk about I saw myself through my father's eyes, not mm-hmm. my heavenly father's eyes, Absolutely. through my earthly father's eyes. You know, and I'm going to go back to a book that I'm going to recommend to everybody out there that is called The Shack. And regardless of your religious beliefs, I I just think this book is anointed because it it brings it into a daily relationship with God and and talks about forgiveness and that when you realize that you are a daughter of the king, Mm. you have the power to be able not by your own strength, but but to stop taking responsibility for everybody else's walk. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And to just love people Mm -hmm. through the grace of God. And and that is a healing balm. I truly believe that it is in those moments when that we feel God's presence that we are able to claim that peace that passes all understanding. And it doesn't mean that you're playing Pollyanna and pretending it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that you're condoning the action. It means what is really important here is that I understand that I am on purpose and I am worthy and I'm a daughter of the king. And I don't have to let any circumstances in this world, anything that's happened to me, take away that peace and that knowledge that God is with me. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better. <laughs> um, and, and I had to get there. And it was people that would, and God put people in my life. And they were there for a season for some, for a short time, for a long time, and for a lifetime. Um, but they all were put in my life. Because God loves me so much, he put those people in my life. And I don't think it's ever an accident Never. when we cross paths with someone. I don't think it's an accident that we have the listeners listening today who exactly. are making friends on chat. I don't think that's an accident. There's an old saying that says, when the student is ready, the teacher always appears. And I believe that many people in our lives, many radio programs, mm-hmm. many books we pick up, are right. indeed the teachers to allow us to take one more step exactly. toward exactly. being whole. And music um, has always been um, a healing source for me as well. Oh, me too. I yeah. love music. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I um, thought it was interesting that you commented on our <laughs> intro music, It Is Well With My Soul. Yeah. That, that song just brings me peace. It brings me so much peace, and it is the song that touched my heart so much when I came to the place that I could begin to see myself through my Heavenly Father's eyes. Yeah. And then it was well with my soul. Polly, what do you recommend for the future? Um, You're moving on. You are um, starting an organization where you will again begin to share your story Mm -hmm. with others in hopes that you're going to heal them. Um, What do you think is the single most important resource that, that you've used in your life to heal 
from this traumatic childhood sexual abuse? I'm going to have to say the Bible. Interesting. First and foremost. Okay. Um, then I'm going to say that something that was very powerful, I do have a couple of resources here, for adult women who um, were abused as children, and this is this actually says for both men and women, um, it's called the Courage to Heal Workbook. There okay. is an actual textbook that's about the size of your largest encyclopedia, and that's overwhelming and very intimidating. This workbook is by the same authors, and it has um, actual homework assignments that help you think through um, different things, such as confronting or disclosing, you know, telling, speaking up about your abuse to another person. Who's um, the author on that workbook? Laura Davis. Laura Davis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the another one that I have is the same kind of thing. It's a, a workbook which is called Wounded Boys, Heroic Men. Okay. And it's a man's guide to recover, recovering from childhood sexual abuse. And who's the author on that? Daniel J. Sonkin, S-O-N-K-I-N, Ph.D. Okay. I have posted those on our chat line. Polly, our hour is up. Wow. I, <laughs> I so appreciate you sharing with me during this hour. I thank you for having the courage to talk about the things that have happened in your past. And I just pray that you will just feel God's presence with you walking. For all of you who have listened and chatted with us, I so appreciate your constant support. I love Tuesday mornings when we can come together and learn how to grow as women. I hope that you will continue to listen in to hear women talk here on Zeus Radio. I'm Donna Tyson. May the rivers of faith carry you gently through life this week. God bless.